And the motion picture is the most important art film ever devised by the human race. It is the, the art form that creates more empathy than any other. It creates our ability to step out of our own shoes. Welcome to the Great Movies Pod, a retrospective film review show, the podcast where we watch and discuss each of the films covered in Roger Ebert's seminal film essay collection, The Great Movies. I'm Jana Gardner. I'm Nick Fulton. And I'm Dylan Quayer. This week, the movie we are going to be discussing is All About Eve. All About Eve is a 1950 American drama film written and directed by Joseph L. Mankiewicz and produced by Daryl F. Zanuck. It's based on the 1946 short story The Wisdom of Eve by Mary Orr, although no screen credit was given for the fact that it's based on that short story. The short story, by the way, is in the Criterion booklet, and I read it. So did I. It's really really interesting. Um, So we can talk about that a little bit. The film stars Betty Davis as Margot Channing, a highly regarded but aging Broadway star, Anne Baxter, of course, plays Eve Harrington, an ambitious young fan who maneuvers her way into Channing's life, ultimately threatening her career and relationships. The film also co-stars George Sanders, Celeste Holm, and features Gary Merrill, Hugh Marlowe, Thelma Ritter, Marilyn Monroe in one of her earliest roles, Gregory Radoff, Barbara Bates, and Walter Hampton. The film was praised by critics at the time of its release, and it received a record 14 Academy Award nominations and won six, including Best Picture. Pop quiz, can you name the other two movies that have since received 14 Oscar nominations? Fellowship of the Ring. And La La Land? La La Land and Titanic. Titanic. Uh, I think Fellowship. Fellowship? I know Fellowship had more than... I would say Return... Say so Return of the King like only had eleven, but I think it won like all, all eleven. Of them. But I think <laughs> so. Fellowship had more nominations because Ian McKellen got a nomination as well, and Return of and the King didn't get didn't any get any acting after that. Yeah. yeah, so maybe it just got twelve by thirteen. Yeah. All right, so we can also talk more Oscars later. Um, anyway, widely considered to be one of the greatest films of all time, All About Eve was one of the first 50 films ever selected for preservation in the Library of Congress's National Film Registry, which is pretty cool, meaning it was deemed culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant, and it was 16th on AFI's original list of the 100 best American films. So, pretty well-regarded movie. It's also a part of the Criterion Collection. That is how I watched it, was on a Criterion Blu-ray um, it's also available. You streamed it, right, Dylan? Yeah, on Prime. But it, yeah, I had to pay a couple bucks for it. So oh, it's like one of the rentals. That's fine. That's that's yeah. still fairly accessible. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, what was your guys's prior experience with the movie? When did you see it for the first time? What did you think going in? I bought um, a handful of DVDs around the last. I think it was the last Barnes and Noble Criterion sale, uh, and this was one of them. Uh, I th- it was sometime like in the winter. Uh, so I watched this for the first time, either January or February of this year. So just a few months ago for the first time. And it was one of those movies that was one of the biggest, most notable blind spots for me. But I really liked it the first time. And we'll talk about how my reaction <laughs> may have changed on a second viewing. Uh, Dylan, what about you? Uh, I saw this probably in 10th grade. It was one of the latter books I got because I have had the Great Movies book from Roger Ebert for a while, and between that and the AFI list, that was kind of like my set in stone way to find new movies um, when I was younger and like wanting to be a filmmaker. 
this was one of the latter ones I got to, and I so that was probably around tenth grade. Um, and I remember liking it a lot and thinking it was pretty dope. And we'll get into what I thought about it on this time too. Yeah, so I saw it for the first time a week ago. I got the Criterion Blu-ray as a Christmas gift, and so I had been looking forward to watching it. It was also one of my biggest blind spots, both just overall as a movie and as someone who's really into like the Oscars and Best Picture winners. Uh, it was always kind of crazy that I hadn't seen it. So I was looking forward to it. And I actually I knew vaguely what it was about, but not really with any detail. My biggest sort of pop culture point of reference and I don't know if you guys were familiar with this because I know you're not as big of Aaron Sorkin fans as I am. Have you guys ever watched, like, did you watch The West Wing or any of Sorkin's TV shows or anything? Not really? I watched Sports Night. <laughs> okay. I've watched some of West Wing, but, like, maybe six episodes. It's one of, you've probably seen online the, like, Sorkinism supercut videos where, it, if you've ever seen those compiled, he, like, uses the same expressions over and over. And mm-hmm. one of his sort of go-to expressions for describing a woman who's crazy is saying she's a little all about Eve. And so (laughs) I think she was all about Eve. And so that was sort of the impression. Like, oh, okay, it's about, I don't know, some woman who's crazy or something. So it was interesting to go in um, this viewing. But yeah, just jumping in on overall thoughts. I loved it. It's one of those movies that I went in. I actually probably, because it was so well-regarded, kind of went in pre-backlashed, like thinking, okay, well, (laughs) kind of like I did with 2001, where I'm like, all right, I guess it's really good, but I don't know. Is it really good? Um, And I (laughs) loved it. Like from the beginning, I thought it's funny. I really liked the music. I think it has a really great theme. It's very sort of traditional, you know, 50s, big Hollywood movie music, but in a way that I really like. Composer on this film was Alfred Newman, father of Thomas and uncle of Randy, Mm. uh, both of whom who were nominated for Oscars just this past year. So a lot of interesting Hollywood history uh, with that as well. And just overall, I I dug it. I really liked the pace, the the method of storytelling. I'm kind of a sucker for the flashback narrative. You know, it can be sort of a easy shortcut, but it's not exactly, it's not a in media res thing that I don't like that stories do where it shows you something really exciting and then it takes you back. Mm -hmm. It just shows you kind of, okay, this culminating event seems pretty standard. And then you get the backstory of what actually transpired to get there. So I was, I was hooked from minute one, basically. One thing I love about this movie too, is the use of multiple narrators like where mm-hmm. it jumps back and forth between different narrative that's like crack for me and i didn't I realize that. it until I, I was paying attention this time i was like oh my god like this goodfellas whatever movies do that i just find it so entertaining yeah i, I agree i really like that tool or sort of that storytelling mode also um it just makes it especially for something like this that is such a strong ensemble mm. i think it's really valuable to sort of do that jumping around and let you see things from the different angles yeah so just bouncing off of what you said i'll I'll give away uh almost all of my just overall thoughts on the rewatch i i give it four and a half the first time i saw it i loved it even more on a second viewing really the only thing that holds me back and we can talk about it as we go through the movie is for the most part visually it's not that it's not that it's ugly it's just not stunning uh visually there's like i think the final shot is uh killer but Mm -hmm. uh for the otherwise it's not like bravura uh, like 
cinematography, um, which doesn't necessarily break it for me, but that's kind of where I'm bouncing between. So we'll see how I uh, how I land after we talk about it for a little while. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. I mean, yeah, I'm glad you weren't like I watched it this time and I realized it's secretly terrible. No, no. Um, <laughs> but I, I I do think that's fair. Um, I thought about that too. Watching it, it's very straightforward, and it was interesting reading some of the criticisms. I can't remember. I think Ebert has a nod to it when in the section of his write-up where he's comparing it to Sunset Boulevard mm. and basically says, you know, says Sunset Boulevard is better regarded for a variety of reasons and one basically that maybe Mankiewicz wasn't that great of a director or something along those lines. Um, and it's, it's definitely not showy. The only image that really stuck out to me, and this is just blocking, it's not really sort of great cinematography, is the scene when they're all sitting on the stairs at the party and sort of they're all sort of tightly in this little group. And I was like, oh, this is just like a nice, like a nicely composed little scene. I like this image of them all sitting on the stairs having this conversation back and forth. Um, But that could be done in a play, basically. So it was nothing very cinematic, really. I feel like a lot of this felt staged in the way a stage play would. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the first time that kind of caught my eye was uh, towards the beginning when Eve is introduced to Margot and her group, mm-hmm. and they kind of all bunch to one side of the room, and then uh, Eve is on the other one. Um, I think they, well, maybe it's not like the most gorgeous cinematography. I think it's um, stage directed well. A lot of mm-hmm. the actors are placed in a good way, and they are their movement between the camera and the actors always works off really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was basically my take as well, which is, yeah, well well staged, well blocked. I like how everyone's positioned mm-hmm. against everyone else is useful for storytelling, but um, it did win. One of the Oscars it won was for cinematography mm. um, back when <laughs> – this is back when um, there was different categories for black and white and color for almost yeah. everything. So, yeah, just to jump into the Oscars thing very quickly, it was nominated for – Picture, director, double for actress for Ann Baxter and Betty Davis, supporting actor for George Sanders, double supporting actress for Celeste Holman and Thelma Ritter, screenplay, art direction, black and white, cinematography, black and white, costume design, black and white, film editing, scoring of a dramatic or comedy picture. They must have had a different one for musicals. Um, and then sound recording as well. So that's pretty impressive. And I also just definitely lied to you it was nominated but did not win for cinematography it was just nominated but it did win picture director supporting actor screenplay costume design and sound Mm. costumes are very good yes yeah the costumes are awesome (laughs) i actually noticed costumes for a change right edith head (laughs) thank Uh, you we can talk about all the good (laughs) costumes in this one great costume designer edith head yeah that was great the the genre split for score seems very like Uh uh, golden globes i'm looking at the other oscars from that year and they they divided Mm -hmm. live action shorts into one reel and two reel (laughs) oh man that's awesome (laughs) that is so old hollywood yeah that is yeah one reelers and two reelers wow yeah best scoring of a dramatic or comedy picture so i'm looking to see what the oh yep the other one was musicals that was Mm. the other category Gotcha. Um, so they had one for basically musicals and non-musicals. What else was nominated for Best Picture that year? 1950 Best Picture hmm. was 
I've got it pulled up if you don't. I was going to say, you want to tell me? Because, yeah, yeah, I don't have it in front of me. It's um, Born Yesterday, Father of the Bride, King Solomon's Mines, and Sunset Boulevard. Okay, that's really just a two-horse race then. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Asphalt Jungle and Third Man were nominated for Best Director, but not Best Picture that year, which is crazy to Boo? me. <laughs> well, I'm not a big Asphalt Jungle fan, but right. come on, Third Man. That's a... Yeah. And That's a stone cold classic. Neither of the actresses, neither Ann Baxter nor Betty Davis won, nor Gloria Swanson for Sunset Boulevard. It went to uh, Judy Holiday for Born Yesterday. Was Boo. The <laughs> I remember actress. when uh, Nick watched this a few months ago and he was messaging me and we were like, one of the two lead actresses had to have won. And then we yeah. realized, oh, Gloria Swanson's the same year. Like, oh, it, one of those three had to win. Nope. I mean, no. I Boo. one of I, somewhere on Wikipedia or something else I was reading was like Betty Davis's fans at the time blamed her loss on vote splitting. And, you know, probably people yeah. still blame losses on vote splitting all the time. Like you, you could see it going two ways. If you really liked this movie, maybe you had a vote split between Betty Davis and Ann Baxter. And then if you really liked that kind of performance, maybe you were split between Betty Davis and Gloria Swanson. And so, yeah, good old Judy Holiday got to. Scoot right in there and get it. Who is the fifth woman? Do you know? Eleanor Parker in Caged as Marie Allen. Which Okay. I have never heard of the movie Caged, yep. so there you go. No. I, <laughs> You've never heard of the Oscar-nominated film Caged starring <laughs> no. Eleanor Parker no. as Marie Allen? No. Learning God, so, someone's things. like, gotta be a huge Caged fan. They're right. just like, what the <laughs> heck are these people thinking? Such disrespect. Um, but yeah, it is, it's interesting. Costume design, black and white, art direction, black and white. I mean, I guess it is a very different skill, right? In terms of what you're putting mm-hmm. on camera, if you're going for black and white versus color film. So it's interesting. I would have been so curious to see what this film looked like in color. I al- I always think that when I'm watching a black and white movie, like not throughout, but every once in a while, my mind will kind of drift and I'll be like, yeah, I wonder what color that is. Or, like, what did this look like when you were actually in the room? Honestly, I just want to know what Betty Davis's dress, which color yeah. that is. The one that's, like, almost half, like, um, kind of comes down her shoulder mm-hmm, yeah. during the birthday party scene. From the party. That's a dope dress. It's a great dress. Yeah, I really actually really like the dress that um, Eve wears in that scene, too, which has mm-hmm. kind of, like, a little lace thing. Yeah. Um, it was... Yeah, all the costumes are are really good, but it would have been awesome to see them in color. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, all right, let's go back. Okay, so just to briefly, we already sort of touched on the very beginning. The film does start sort of at the end. Um, it has this narration. We're dropped right into it with uh, George Sanders playing Addison DeWitt, um, the sort of maybe pretentious, maybe a little snarky in modern parlance, um, film critic who is serves as our narrator throughout. Uh, but basically, we're seeing this award ceremony and getting a whole speech about, you know, theater and the actors. Um, and we know, you know, all these, these famous people are there, and we see that it is Eve Harrington who is being given this prestigious award, but there's a lot of people sitting in the audience who don't look very happy about it. <laughs> and so they are from, so grouchy. It's that scene both at the very beginning and then when we get to it later, the best part is just all the reactions mm-hmm. to their just like 
stone Especially faces. Marco. Ugh. She's just like They're, smoking her cigarette. Right, just, just like, like it's the yeah, I'm ready for I this to be done. Love their reactions, exactly. And so uh, you know, we see everyone who's in the theater, and we sort of get a brief introduction with them, and then it jumps back in time to the beginning of this story when these people all first met in Margot's dressing room after a performance. And mm-hmm. I really like this, what's I think of sort of the real opening scene in the dressing room, because just right away, you get the relationships, you get this banter, you get the sort of whole roles everybody's playing. It really drops you into, I think, a really lived-in world just pretty much right away. Well, I th- I think before we get to the, the dressing room, I gotta say how amazing the freeze frame is unlike the 400 blows freeze frame. Um, when it stops... <laughs> Sorry, Nick. I'm giving you the, um, the, the Mets guy. Was that Mets? <laughs> just the angry... Uh, is it Mets or Yankees? Is that a Yankees guy? It oh, was it's two, a Yankees guy. This it was two Yankees. It's a, a Yankees this game. This is an audio podcast, by the way. We're all giving very yeah. stern-looking thumbs down is what's <laughs> happening. <laughs> um, I, I think the freeze frame is great, which is just... Eve, like, reaching out for the reward, mm. and it just stops before she gets it. Yeah. And it's like, we must see what happened to get to this point as she... The whole movie is her reaching for this glamour, this award. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's interesting to cut also from that freeze frame to her as this quote-unquote doling fan. Right, it's the sort of mousy, young mm-hmm. thing, Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the first scene, um, I, I like the dialogue between her and Karen. Is that mm-hmm. the character's name? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Karen's the friend. Yeah. Yeah. Her and Karen as well as they, um, kind of, how did Karen meet Eve or Eve again? Did she just see her and was like, oh, oh she's oh. come to a lot of these things? Yeah. We see her chatting. We see them chatting outside of the stage door, basically sort of in the alley outside the theater and... They have this conversation where Karen basically says, like, oh, I, you know, I thought you weren't here, um, but of course you are. And it, it comes out that apparently Eve comes to every single show, like six nights a week, mm-hmm. and stands there and has been doing it for weeks, which uh, Karen seems to think is sweet. And I think I it know. immediately is terrifying. But there are, I mean, even now, you know, there's like Broadway super fans who go outside stage doors every night. It's not totally unheard of. Do you know how like ex- an opening night? How expensive it would be to see a play for six weeks straight? There's isn't there's a line where someone asked about that and she says like standing room only tickets aren't that bad or something along those lines. It's like, but still every night. <laughs> yeah, and I don't, I don't know what the, the exchange rate was back then. If Broadway musicals were cheaper, mm-hmm. but any. Broadway show that's lasting for like six weeks at least straight by one of the greatest screenwriters of the time. Yeah. Huge star, huge playwright. I wouldn't afford that. Yeah. And so that's why Karen starts talking to her, basically calls her out for being, oh, what a good fan and, you know, takes kind of pity on her and makes the fateful decision to bring her backstage to meet Margot and then who immediately as soon as the topic even comes up Margot just starts absolutely insulting and railing all against all fans. the terrible all, well, all of her friends and like also gener- and her fans yeah, too yeah. I can't like you know oh yeah everyone who's <laughs> stands outside the stage door and how terrible they are and stupid and <laughs> useless 
So real, real gracious there, Margo. Um, and that's when Karen has to be like, actually, I met, I brought some one of them here to meet you. <laughs> so it starts off a little, uh, little rocky. Yeah, I love Eve's introduction where not only like we know she's gonna kiss Margo's ass, mm-hmm. but she kisses Karen's ass just because oh, yeah. of her proximity to Margo and her proximity mm-hmm. to her husband, who is the playwright. Right. It's just such a great way to set up like how conniving she is. Yeah, it, it right. It starts from the very beginning what just becomes truer and truer throughout, which is Eve just knows exactly what to say to who to try to just get closer to, you know, fame and, and power and everything she wants. And it's not you know, even even when she's sort of making plays for the men or, you know, when she's talking to the other women, you can tell that it's all very single-minded she knows you know that there's a lot of different ways that she can try to make a grab for fame and success and so she yeah she comes back there and they have this just great exchange where you know everyone's taking pity on her and at first before actually before she even comes back we see Margot, you know being so funny and doing her accent and you can sort of tell why she's this you know star she's a little bit weary and over it but she's still charming and funny and um, once they actually start talking to Eve she very quickly has this very sad story about her sad life where you know coming up from being so poor and having to you know work and then having a husband but then he was killed and I don't know about you guys, but the first time, I mean, and you can't divorce the context, but the first time I watched it, I'm like, well, this is all just a crock. <laughs> like, I think she's <laughs> delivering it well, but there's always this level of just artificiality to everything. And I think it's intentional. I don't know. Roger had some not super gracious things to say about Ann Baxter yeah, he didn't like <laughs> in Ann his Baxter. essay. Um, yeah, he calls her like a weakness. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, he says something about it being like the weakness. But I, again, whether it's intentional or not, I think it works for the character that it comes across kind of fakey. I mean, yeah. she's she's giving That's a performance. The point. Right, exactly. And it, it feels performative because I think it's supposed to. Um, you know, it's not really a mystery what's going on here. Yeah, and I think the thing that in the movie that re- like shows it's performative is the one person that isn't like starstruck at the person that's starstruck at them mm-hmm. is Birdie and she <sighs> says what a story <laughs> good New York accent everything but the bloodhound snapping at her rear end <laughs> I know I, I wrote that down while I was watching it and then I saw that Rot Evert put it in his write up also because it is it's just you know she does this like <sighs> heavy sigh and at first you think maybe you know she's going to be sympathetic and then you know, quickly, it's just like, wah, wah. And everyone else, you know, Margaret starts apologizing. Oh, I'm so sorry about Birdie. <laughs> like, they she's all feel tearing so up. bad she's for this all... girl. Um, yeah, and so she's, Birdie's the only one. She's she's seen it all. She's been through it. Mm-hmm. She's working mm-hmm. cl- She's working class herself. Like, she's she sort of sees what this girl's up to yeah, very quickly. Everyone else seems to have the reaction that you would have if you believe it. And mm-hmm. Birdie seems to have the reaction of somebody who is seeing it for the performance that it is. She's like, oh, wow, what a great story. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. Wow, dramatic. Yeah, and so I like I like that. And then right after this, um, I mean, okay, so they, they have this conversation. They get all the backstory. Um, she talks about 
following Margot around the country, having seen her in San Francisco. And so, because that'll come back later. And, you know, that's part of her long journey. And Margot totally falls for it. Like, she's very sympathetic to this young girl and wants to help her. And basically immediately offers to, you know, find work for her, put her to work. She can be her assistant. You know, she can come and get her foot in the door, basically. And, you know, we see Margot, who comes across as so brash, but she has a real soft spot (laughs) for Eve, at least in the very beginning here. And it's right around this part when it's the narration has switched to Karen and we start getting Karen's narration of the story. And I really like a moment where after they're, they've had this introduction and they're leaving the theater as Karen and her husband, whose name I already forgot, the playwright. Lord. Yeah. I get Lloyd and Bill confused. Like yeah, their Bill names. is Margo's boyfriend. and They then, look yeah. super similar. They, they did look very similar. Um, but as Karen and her husband are leaving the theater, Karen has this line sort of wistful where she says, funny, the things you remember and the things you don't. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's a, I, a good sort of framing of a story like this. Well, when you're looking back on how you got to where you got, it's like, eh, some things stick out in your memories and some things don't so much. And so very quickly from there, we just see Eve being a great, personal assistant, a great friend, um, helping out Margot, who's kind of a mess, but just in the way that maybe a sad actress would be kind of a mess. Uh, we see Eve doing good things for her, most notably uh, saving her from herself when Eve forgets Bill's birthday, because <laughs> he's gone back to the West Coast. He's gone back to Hollywood. And Eve does something which wouldn't have occurred to me but of course has to basically like schedule or set up a long distance call make the arrangement (laughs) for it to take place like Margot's phone rings and it's operator saying okay your long distance call is ready and then she finds herself on the phone with Bill and it takes her a while to figure out what even is happening and then sort of backs into remembering it's his birthday and Eve kind of saved her on that one so she was doing some nice things for her too (laughs) but she forgets to tell Margot about it um forgets maybe <laughs> like i i assume that the forgetting is she didn't actually forget uh yeah. to tell margo about the call what's like what's her end game there yeah i mean just to embarrass her because that's the only thing that you know no it's to break apart the relationship but she could have also just let her not call him at all exactly that's what right? that's what she just forget- but that- but she needs to do it in a way that will earn her trust so oh, you so set up like- the call but she hurt the relationship between right. Bill and Margot. By... This is like the real eight-dimensional chess she's playing. Yeah, because yeah. she could have just not done it and hurt the relationship. But this way, if she sets it up, the, the call, she can be like, look what a great person I am, but still undermine her by not mm-hmm. telling her and making the whole thing awkward. Yeah. That's what I got from it. Uh, this is kind of one of those, like, how did Hal not see that Dave was going to outsmart him? I just, mm. Like, there there had to have been a better way than this. I don't know. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's it's probably overly complicated, yeah. but I like the scene. I like it's a the great conversation. Scene. Yeah, and I like the conversation between Margot and Bill. I like their whole relationship and chemistry, and I learned today that they were married in real life, Betty Davis and Guy Merrill, the actor who played oh, wow. Bill. Yeah, they just had gotten married when this movie came out. 
and then they stayed married for about 10 years and then split up. So they were a real life couple. And I feel like they have a really fun, sweet relationship and chemistry. He either mm. ran or was planning to run for senator somewhere. Mm. And he was going to run as a as an anti in the 60s. He was going to run as mm-hmm. a pro environmentalist anti-war candidate during the vietnam era wow so seems we like applaud a cool dude. yeah seems like a man seems like a cool <laughs> yeah. dude yeah yeah and he's he's a sweet guy he well i have one issue with him later but for the most part he's like really funny and sweet with margo and so what is there anything else i'm trying to remember if there's anything else eve really that we see her do this early on that is it's kind of just general helping out and birdie keeps on trying to get margo to see it right yeah birdie again is very annoyed by all of this (laughs) you know both you know because she kind of was the right hand woman um and now there's this new girl around and birdie knows that you can't trust her at all so it's just all bad yeah and i Maybe I'm missing something on my watch and you guys can help me, but it feels like Margot realizing that Eve is kind of backstabbing her a little bit or mm-hmm. kind of undermining her for her own personal gain. It comes about like really quickly, I felt. Like, yeah. it's like there's a couple of scenes of like, Birdie, why did you not like Eve? Mm-hmm. And then suddenly she's like, oh, I don't like Eve now. Yeah, because there's not much that happens like you said between let's say the phone call with bill and then pretty much the birthday party like there's not a big is there a big dramatic incident i'm forgetting about before the relationship starts deteriorating it's a it's a minor incident that happens before this um but i think it's a really notable one it's when eve is backstage and she offers to take a dress back Ah, and then Um, Birdie convinces Margot that the wardrobe people should do it or the union will get mad, which seems weird. Um, mm-hmm. So oh, Margot... I forgot her whole line about the... The union. When she says something about the union and she's like, you're not in a union. And she's like, no, but the you know wardrobe women are. So, all right. So Margot catches Eve admiring herself in front of the mirror. And then I think this that is right before the scene with the phone call to Bill in the middle mm-hmm. of the night. So I think it's those yeah. kind of things back to back. Mm. Okay. And then... That makes sense. The next thing we see, um, I think, is really what snowballs these things going from something minor to Bill has been at the house for 20 minutes mm-hmm. and not said hi to Margo, which seems... Right. He should know better. He should <laughs> He should know better. The, the guys in this movie just really not only at least until the end mostly fall for eve's whole deal but Mm -hmm. just make a lot of unforced errors in terms of like uh you know you can be friendly with her and not have to get you know in this case margo to turn against you but uh yeah so then poor poor margo uh is starting to feel pretty sad they have this party and the party's it's not her birthday party right she's just sad about her age because she starts it is her birthday party right i couldn't i thought it was i can't remember i was trying to figure out this time what it was i thought it was bill's birthday party i think it's bill's birthday party i think bill comes back because i thought the same thing i thought it was her birthday party and then because she talks about having turned 40 at the party right like last she says in like last month she turned 40 and she resents uh bill because he's 32 
Um, He'll always and, look 32. Oh, that that line where it's she says, yes, but line. he's 32 and he's looked it for five years and he'll look it for 20 more. I hate men. I hate men. Is so is so good. Um, and she talks, uh, there's a few different times when they're age difference because he is, he's eight years younger than her. And she's lamenting that at one point and Karen, you know, says like, it's only eight years. And she says, yeah, but that's going to, as time goes on, that'll stretch out. Basically, you know, she thinks the older she gets that it's going to become more and more of an issue. So she is, she is sad <laughs> about time marching on and in that, advancing age. And that's the real subtext of the movie. And I love that the movie doesn't ever try to hit you over the head with it. There's like this speech mm-hmm. that she makes later in the movie um, when she's in the car with Karen alone. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, we see these gears turning, but it's, it's not ever um, that in your face or blunt about it It, it's all just kind of something that's you know a a thorn on her side that Mm -hmm. seems to be uh like the thing that exacerbates her issues as she gets loaded at this party oh god yeah she just i I like that you just like watch it happen too Mm -hmm. like that she just you're watching her just have a breakdown (laughs) like cigarette by cigarette drink by drink it's like (laughs) oh god and one thing that's funny about sort of how it's under the surface maybe a little is it's not just that or it's not strictly that you know oh she's old and eve is this younger woman coming to take her place uh because this is at the party scene where we get the amazing one scene performance from marilyn monroe in this movie which i think is so good who she's you know this young woman sort of who shows up and i think brings a lot of energy to it and at least as i read it she's not really negatively portrayed. I mean, she's kind of, she's ditzy, but mm-hmm. she's not, it's not like, Oh, all young women are here to bring you down. She's just mm-hmm. shows up and she's going to make some industry connections and complain about how the powerful producer looks like an old rabbit. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I, I love her performance on this because like you said, she is kind of ditzy um, or at least that's the way she comes off but she's clearly much like she's clearly intelligent she's not um she is not the way eve is feigning to be Mm -hmm. where she's wide-eyed and wants to meet all these people she sees it more of like a oh god they look like unhappy rabbits right yeah no exactly she has this kind of bubbly energy but Mm -hmm. she's very she knows what she's doing and she's not really being coy about it particularly you know she's there with the critic and he's you know, so I can go talk to that guy and do this. And um, she's very, yeah, it's not this fake wide-eyed naivete kind of thing. She's like, it's an industry party. I'm here to meet some people, make some connections. I did think it was funny. And as I think she's great. I think the performance is great. It's such a good scene. I did think it was funny in Ebert's write-up, which is only about three and a half pages long. He almost her. a full page. Almost a full page is dedicated to Marilyn Monroe, who's in this movie for mm-hmm. one scene. I'm like, Roger! He definitely talks about her more than, um, like... Ann Baxter. Oh, Ann, ba- Ann Baxter gets two sentences, and he calls her a weakness. <laughs> like, How dare you? I know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I thought that was really funny, because I was thinking about how much I loved the performance, and I'm like, okay, well... But it's one scene in this two and a half hour long movie, Roger. (laughs) And it's not like she steals the scene. Yeah, she's just good. That scene is still definitely Betty Davis's because she's awesome and she's Betty Davis. Mm -hmm. It's just it it 
she comes in, she has a good energy, and she goes. Right. And at least not on Marilyn Monroe, but a little bit on her character for me, mm-hmm. is she comes with she comes with Addison Dewitt, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I thought Addison Dewitt sucked. <laughs> like as an actor or a character? Yes. <laughs> no, we're not going to say George Sanders sucks on this podcast. George Sanders has the best voice I've ever heard in my entire life. His That's voice fine, voice. but his, his character is ham and he's played like a pig. And it didn't work for me at all. So, uh, on the Wikipedia section, I was reading about the themes of this movie, and it talks about how many people have written about like homosexual subtext and how this was produced during the you know code production code era, and so you can't really say anything. Did you read his character as probably supposed to be gay, or just that he's a theater critic? And so you know, I wasn't sure if that was actually something that was there, or if that was just people on the internet wanting to. You know, I I saw the uh, the analyses that he's supposed to be queer and that um, Eve is supposed Eve. to be queer. Mm-hmm. The the Eve one I, I I I have issues with because like what what does she do that's overtly queer other than um, like doesn't have actual romantic interest in any of the men. Right. Like, is, does does that make her gay? <laughs> I mean, ob- obviously, if she doesn't want to, yeah. And, I think and then, that's what they're getting it from, yeah. Yeah, and then the uh, one person you, uh, the guy who wrote the book all about all about Eve does the commentary, mm-hmm. and he used evidence that after um, a phone call later, Eve and her neighbor walk with their arms around each other, like in in the most oh. unromantic way. Right. No, that was just her neighbor did her a solid by making this phony phone call for her like yeah um the addison character until i saw that i assumed that he was sleeping with these actresses because it seemed like that that was that's what i thought so too that seemed like that was his goal with uh eve because otherwise like Mm -hmm. what's he doing yeah well yeah he's got no benefit on the side that would make the marilyn monroe scene make a lot more sense if this is like some you know young actress girlfriend that he's like yeah come with me and i'll i'll hook you up with people yeah i thought which he could be like bi or something Um, (laughs) that's true like that 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 might be i don't i don't care about the queer part i find this character that's supposed to be like a know-it-all and i mean we'll get into this later but he like knows literally everything about her like did he hire a private investigator like i I found this character so annoying and, like, I could not stand him and him thinking he was all that and the movie thinking he was all that. And, no, I hated it. I hated this character so much. That's funny. I loved him sort of despite, I mean, yes, all I of, love all him as that. a joke. He's a joke. <laughs> like, he's got a great voice. But as a character, Funny. I saw, like, no point in the story for him. I mean, he has like, to be okay, there and make here's the end the of the movie work. <laughs> yeah. How? Okay, Eve belongs to him, but she still gets her award. Like, that's all she wanted. So, I mean, she could have... I mean, I guess she still gets her award. She could have made the play for, you know, the playwright. You know, that that's what he told her not to do. That's what he used his blackmail for, was to yeah, not go break Yeah, she would have failed marriage. at that anyway. Yeah, a lot of things happen. I mean, it's sort of similar to the fact that her big blackmail scheme is to blackmail Karen so that she can get the part as Cora. And then Margot just says, I don't want it anyway. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, that whole thing. And I think it's on purpose. It's funny. And I think that's the scene where 
I know we're skipping ahead, but Karen just sort of like laughs yeah, like so much. Scene. She just can't even believe it's happening. She just went through all of that. And then she's just like laughing uncontrollably. And he's like, what's funny? She's like, nothing. And she just keeps laughing. Uh, I think she was so great. Yeah, No, I think Addison's character is important um, when we see him in the like the pen, like the penultimate shot of the movie, um, mm-hmm. which oh, we'll sure. get to. But I think that that is important to uh, reemphasize like the one of the themes of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And he just sort of ties it all together. I mean, he's a slight outsider. He doesn't have any personal stake in this story. Everyone else, all of our other characters are in some way personally tied to Margot and the whole life. He's more of an outside observer, which I think is why he's sort of there at the very beginning and the very end um, to put a bow on things. But yeah, I, I got a kick out of him. I thought he was hilarious, but in a fun way. But I did have, I I had the same question about um, how he puts together sort of all the information at the end. Like if he had hired a private investigator or or if just like, you know, journalists can do research Mm -hmm. and he's a critic. Maybe he just used a lot of research. (laughs) He gets a lot of details. It's true. Just for me, I think my main frustration, I'm getting a little worked up about this, is how many acting nominations did this movie have? It was like five. five or six. And he's the only one who won. But that's because and he got, he, they were, the other ones were nominated against each other. Yeah. Like he was the only man. Not all man of them. Nom- he was yeah, the only one. I mean, the two, the two actresses and two supporting actresses. He was the only man nominated. So. Who, who were the two supporting actresses? Karen and. And Birdie. Delma Ritter. Which. Oh. She's good in it, but I. That, that part is so much smaller I knew yeah. she was nominated before I watched mm-hmm. it, and so and she's you know really good in that first scene. That's about and it. That's then it, really. she kind of just disappears. But okay, yeah. comparing to Karen and to Margot and Eve, yeah. like those are multi-layered uh, characters with performances to match, and Addison lot, just has a funny voice, and he smokes the cig. On I the little six stand. I love his cigarette holder. Mm-hmm. I it's love that It's funny, <laughs> but it has it it didn't it, it it made me frustrated that he was the one that got the award from the movie. That's that is what the Oscars will do to you sometimes though, I know, right? I know. Where I'm getting exasperated by that. Uh, Either way, I thought the character was one dimensional in a more dimensional movie than it deserved for a so, plus the the George? first two um, or the the, ma- the two lead actresses had already won awards anyway. Yeah, yeah. And mm. Thelma Ritter um, would go on to be nominated for like six Oscars or something. So they just loved her. <laughs> so even with that birdie being such a small part, the Academy was just on board with everything she was doing. I looked to see who George Sanders beat, and it is. People from movies Broken Arrow, Mr. 880, and then uh, Sam Jaffe from The Asphalt Jungle and Eric Von Stroheim from Sunset Boulevard. So, you know, he didn't have as strong of strong as a competition there. Yeah, I do like Stroheim a lot. And uh, I do like Stroheim a lot, Sunset too. Boulevard. He's very good. Yeah. Uh, one last thing before we move on from the party. We didn't even talk about the, you know, buckle your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Mm-hmm. Uh, which kicks everything off. And then the other, like, sort of quote, at least that I was familiar with, that I really, really liked, was when they're standing around by the stairs at the party and Margot tells Eve to stop acting like she's the queen mother. (laughs) 
And Bill tells her, you know, outside of a beehive, you're not acting like a queen or a mother. And so that's when she says, you're in a beehive, pal. Mm -hmm. Didn't you know? We're all busy little bees full of stings, making honey day and night. Aren't we, honey? To Eve. And it's so good. I love that entire exchange. Yeah, I actually have that exchange written down because I love it Mm -hmm. so much. It's so good. Yeah. And that's like, to me, that's sort of right. The best example of what Betty Davis is doing Mm -hmm. in this whole movie, which is. She's so sharp, and even though she's, like, mid-breakdown at this party, (laughs) you know, she still can sort of snap back and just really rip into Eve and everybody else that she's mad at. The one one other thing from the party scene I liked, speaking of Birdie, is when Eve's really just at her end, and she's sitting at the, the piano, and they're playing this sad piano music, and she's sort of, like, cradling this, you know, martini, I think, and, you know, looking so sad, and Birdie tries to bring her, like, a cup of tea um, just to try to, you know, get her going a little bit, and Eve just, like, takes, presumably, the olive out of her martini and, like, drops it in the teacup <laughs> instead. <laughs> Birdie's like, okay, <laughs> you know, we can't get this party, you know, going, and then Eve just, she's so sad. She's having a tough night. Well, that's Margot, right? Oh yeah, sorry, Margot. I'm gonna do that okay. a lot. Sorry. I'm gonna yes. do, I'm gonna do that a lot too. I yeah. I'm like, you know, the main character. Yeah. Sorry. Margot. Sad, sad, sad Margot. Um, oh, Margot would be so mad at you for saying that. I I know. Oh yeah. Um I did, by the way, see your letterbox review, Dylan, which was very funny. Speaking of the oh, like thank you. names. Yeah, I enjoyed that. Um yeah, and so after the party, it just kind of becomes this growing, you know, ascension of Eve basically worming her way into becoming the understudy for the part mm-hmm. that Margot has in the play um, and not telling anybody, including, you know, Margot showing up and finding out that Eve's been her understudy for a week, apparently, and <laughs> she didn't know and nobody told her. So uh, how did nobody say that? I mean, yeah, there's there's a lot of that where Eve is just sort of. She's just going through. She's just sort of, you know, moving along and doing her machinations under the radar. And no one Yeah, but if it's been a week, I can't believe someone's just been like, oh, your understudy is over there. I like that uh, Margot's explanation for it was just like, oh, I don't know. There's so many people running around backstage. I guess I wouldn't even know who's there anyway. (laughs) Like, none of you are important enough for me to pay attention to. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I'll, I'll get into some of my flaws with the movie, but I think my big flaws are just, like, the way things happen either so abruptly mm-hmm. or with no, like, intention behind them. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I could definitely see Eve, like, worming her way behind Margot's back to mm-hmm. getting the understudy position. Yeah. But the idea it's like, oh, she's been hiding as the understudy for a week. Yeah. It, like, that just... There, there was a lot of logical fallacies broken for me in this movie. When I was watching it, I was just like, sigh. Uh, no, but that's okay because Betty Davis is awesome. Yeah, that w- and that's what matters. That I don't really see that as a plot hole, um, mostly because like who cares? Uh, but also, it's it, it's kind of reinforcing um, one thing that's said about. Margo a few times in the movie is that she's never going to miss a show anyway. So why, like, she she probably doesn't know That's anything true. about the understudy because the understudy for her is a moot point because she's going to go on no matter what. So the understudy until, is someone who doesn't, yeah, until. Um, until Karen decides to take things into her own hands. <laughs> yeah, but in, in Margo's mind, the understudy is someone who 
doesn't matter. They don't exist because right. they yeah. don't have a real job. Right. She yeah. She does not miss a show. Yeah. So what does it matter to her? It's all the same. Um, which probably would explain why she could keep it under the radar because mm-hmm. no one cares who the understudy is. They never need anything from them. Mm. Um, yeah, and then it is in the next bit where I literally just wrote down in my notes, oh, Karen, Karen, Karen. <laughs> like, she is, she's a real tragic figure of this movie for me. <laughs> like, she makes so many terrible, fateful decisions. Um, you know, first of all, just bringing Eve in to begin with, but then you know, just falling for her maybe worse than anybody and taking sympathy on her. Like, even at this point, to still be like, I mean, that's a big stat. Like, what she does to Margot, which is... Yeah, and Margot's, like, her best friend. Out of all... Like, I I got a lot of the stuff that Karen does in this movie. Mm -hmm. Like, Karen's such, like, a sweet and personable figure. Like, I could Mm -hmm. see this character being like, oh, look at this fan. I'll just bring her backstage. Mm -hmm. And, you know, having some, like personal discussions about her i can't believe that someone like her would also just be like oh i'm gonna completely blackmail my best friend and leave her stranded in the middle of a wintry road as she misses a performance for her big play yeah again i was just like really this is what's gonna happen it's a big it's a big leap it's that's a big step to take it's one thing to sort of take sympathy on eve but to yeah actually you know set it up so that margo will miss a miss her first performance ever um Mm -hmm. you know and i'm sure she didn't and she says two people will know about it which two are they uh i think she i just means her and eve i i was under the the understanding that she's not talking about herself she's talking about eve and her husband uh probably okay because eve knew about then how the heck does addison know that that's what happened Eve, Eve, Eve. Doesn't Addison because Eve doesn't know then. No, Eve knows. Yeah, she definitely knows what's going oh, okay. on. Okay, because because she called all the critics. Yeah, Eve was the she one who called. She knew she was going on that night yeah. because in the afternoon, that's sort of the big revelation that when gotcha. she goes okay. back to Addison and he's like, "I was called to come to this show, and I recognized every other critic from every other paper in town who, in the afternoon." had received calls to come mm-hmm. see this show that the understudy showed up for. And so mm-hmm. I think, I mean... So then he, 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 just, he just put two and two I together, he, really? I think he figured it out, at the very least, unless she told him. She may have told him. Okay. Um, they have a lot of conversations. Yeah, <laughs> so I think two things. One, Karen does rationalize this, and she says in the narration that, like, I'll tell her years from now, and Margot will think <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. She'll think it's funny. But, yeah. but she doesn't... No. <laughs> Two things, though. Uh, one, at the time, she doesn't realize that part of Margot's like psychology is that she doesn't learn it until they're in this car together. That right. she's worried that uh, like so-called Margot Channing uh, will mm-hmm. cease to ex- exist in a few years. Right. And you can see right. how Karen has this look in her eye that's just like, mm-hmm. oh, man, I, I really screwed this up. But she also doesn't. Yeah. She also doesn't. Oh, she regrets it immediately. Yeah, yeah. yeah, for sure. I love that conversation between yeah, them it's in the great. car. She also yeah. doesn't know that she's um, going to be opening the door this widely for right. Eve. Right. That's what I was thinking, too. She thinks she's just doing a nice thing. It's a one-time thing. Let her get on the stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she Maybe get her foot in the door. Right. That'd give her a chance for another part. Yeah, she obviously doesn't know what Eve is going to do. Mm-hmm. 
um, and go so far with it. Yeah, I, I love that conversation in the car between them. It's just very, you know, they feel like very real old friends. I yeah. kind of laughed at the part where she just remarks about how it's getting cold. And it's like, oh, and literally it's just like, oh, yeah, I guess since the engine's off, there's no heat. It'd be nice if they'd keep the car warm so that, you know, we could take shelter here. Like, it's just this very sort of, you know, she's not panicking. She's just like, okay, well, here we are. Um, mm-hmm. And then, but Margo's speech that she gives about, you know, being alone and, yeah, sort of ceasing to exist. And it's this really, really sad speech that basically amounts to, um, if you don't have a man by your side, you're not a woman. Like, that is sort of the gist of what she's getting at. And it's so mm-hmm. sad. Um, and But I think it's very real, you know, for a woman of her age at this time to be like, she has got to, you know, she feels like this is what's missing from her life. And that's why she's so scared of losing Bill, because then she'll be old and alone and sad. And it's one of her most human moments, for sure. Mm-hmm. So I like that a lot. Um, yeah, and so, oh, it's right after this, too. Speaking of uh, losing Bill and Eve, mm-hmm. when <laughs> Eve decides that she's going to, you know, make her big play and try to go after Bill as well, which is one of the first things um, she tries to do that doesn't work out for her, I would say, like she thought, like <laughs> it starts not going well. Yeah, and I think yeah. I think a worse story has Bill fall for it. Yes. I love that he... Yeah. I'm so glad yeah. Bill does it. Yeah, me too. It's such a relief. It just makes his relationship with Margot so much better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is the scene where I I think he's a yeah, good character. You really buy that he really does love Margot and is committed to her. Um I don't love the way he put he puts down uh, Eve. I agree. Right? He says something to the effect of, like, when I want something, I want to go after – I'll go after it. I don't want it to come after me. And it's like, okay, so, you know, a woman can hit on you. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, just just reject her because she sucks, not because she yes, had the, like – thank you. Yeah, that's, that's the and, only thing. And that's Ebert my one was, bill. like, totally praising that line. I know. He's like a brutal put-down. I'm like, well – yeah, but I don't that's like it. Yeah. Of, yeah. That's, that's my one Bill reservation. I love him, but that one thing I was like, oh, you could have just told her she sucks. You don't have to uh yeah. say that it's like basically not a woman's place to come on. And to then, this made me laugh, I think, unintentionally, but like he like dramatically then opens the door and just says, Mark it as an incomplete forward pass. I, I wrote that down. That made me laugh so much. Which I was like, "What are you doing?" He says, "He says like he says either like don't cry or don't be sad because she's sort of looking upset." And he yeah. basically is like, "Don't cry about it. Mark it as an incomplete forward pass," which could be. Kind it's so of a, weird phrase. It could be kind, yeah weird weird sports analogy to throw in there. Um, it could be kind of a way of being nice like hey don't be sad you you went for it and it didn't succeed whatever um but i do love that as soon as he walks out she flips like a switch she's not sad she's pissed Mm -hmm. like she is mad that this didn't work so it it, from minute one i I think it's these switches that makes Anne baxter so perfect in this movie yeah and she's not the weakness of the movie (laughs) where she is the titular role yeah. I think her heel turns fantastic because even though we oh, yeah. even though we know it's coming, like even if you don't literally know it's coming, you know just based on the way the movie's set up, um, like that she's winning an award and we're hearing the story that a turn of some sort is coming. The way she does it is so great. 
Yeah, it's basically right here where I think it turns to at this point where we just basically see her outwardly scheming and conniving mm-hmm. more than not. Like she's letting the facade sort of drop, um, you know, yeah. both in making this play and having it not work out and then having to, uh, you know, make her play with Karen as well to use this absurdly sort of nice thing Karen did for her (laughs) against her, not even that long afterwards. Mm -hmm. So this scene also is, um, I think part of my evidence for Dylan's question of how did Addison know all this stuff? Mm -hmm. He's watching all this happen. And not only is he watching it happen, he's seeing it from like an outsider's point of view in which he's, he's able to, react to it more um like seeing the the long con rather than he's less worried about like the interpersonal dynamics between Margot mm-hmm. and bill and eve he's he's seeing it as why is she doing this what's the game and when he talks to her later he even says it's just as false to not blow your own horn as it is to blow it too loudly mm-hmm. that's a good line yeah that actually. is a good line so he's it's very true yeah he's calling out her foe like humility so he Mm -hmm. you can already tell like his his antennas up for some bullshit right and it's later Uh in that scene when he starts asking her about san francisco and the Mm -hmm. and the question he asks her is a leading question he's trying to trap her in a lie right it's such an obvious leading leading question though Mm -hmm. right yeah she's you know she's pretty smooth but but he he sort of outwits her yeah either way this is a this is a good thing he knows the play scene in San Francisco. He's a play critic. He's got mm-hmm. people that he knows in the, like the the critic business. Sure. Yes. Okay. So he le- asks this leading question about what theater did she go to, mm-hmm. and she he throws a name out there and she agrees. Right. Okay. But later when he confronts her, he hits that point. And then he's like, and I know your name. I know the city you came from. I know the place you worked. I know you cheated on this person. I know oh. this person sent you money. And I'm just like, also, how? He, also, he talked to her parents. That's another thing that he yeah. says. He's like, they, they want to know how you're doing. They haven't heard from you in three years. So you can he, break that story with just saying, calls. like, you, you lied about the place that you saw it. Yeah. Like, that's the, that's the chink you could start opening up in the armor. It's the fact that he had all this knowledge before it, and he's always acting like this wise guy, and he's not doing anything else besides it. Which, yes, is funny. Like, I don't agree it's not entertaining, but it makes the characters so one-dimensional when you have yeah. Eve and Baxter over here yeah. playing, trying, playing a role that's played a role, that's pretending to act like a person, and her switching between all these things. It just, it felt... It felt generic old Hollywood instead of genius it's, old Hollywood, little... and it felt like a clash to me. I mean, he de- he definitely stands out. I think you know among the cast for that reason is a little bit more exaggerated. Um, I do like his function at this particular juncture before he ends up telling her that he knows who she is. But when he's just having the first conversation, because he basically sets her up so he can write this column about how she's the new hotness basically mm-hmm. <laughs> and how, you know, she deserves to be up and coming and, and criticizes Margot and really sort of inserts himself now to really drive this wedge uh, between them. And so, and that makes, this makes Karen furious. Like she's already mad about, this is sort of her breaking point where she turns on Eve and realizes what a crock this has all been. 
Mm-hmm. And because I, one of the lines I wrote down, so she's really mad about this. She's fighting with her husband about it, and he's basically telling her like, "You're overreacting uh, because of." You know, you shouldn't react like this to the professional manure slinger, DeWitt, <laughs> which I thought was really funny. Like, basically, someone would say, like, shit stirrer now, mm-hmm. but you can't say that in 1950, so he's a manure <laughs> slinger, which I thought was really funny. Um, and I like that entire fight between Karen and her husband, because they say early on, they established that they met when he was teaching at her college, yeah. I think is what they say, right? She was at Radcliffe, she was at a women's college, and he was teaching... And she either left school to marry him or married him right upon graduation. And he kind of, in this fight, is being really rude to her and throws back about, like, you weren't this cynical back when you were at Radcliffe. And it's like, well, yeah, when she was a student who you were dating as a teacher, cool move guy. Um, But her response is, that cynicism you refer to, I acquired the day I learned I was different than little boys, which is a really, Mm -hmm. you know, good line. Yeah. And I... I appreciate that the movie seems to know sort of that that's the angle they're taking here where it's like it could because one of the things I was worried about before I watched this movie was if it was going to be sort of like hateful towards women like oh they're all just backbiters and mm-hmm. you know rude and bitches and all this stuff um, but not at all no the movie absolutely knows that like you know it's society's fault we can all agree that mm-hmm. <laughs> and the movie the movie knows that society has put them in this position to sort of compete with each other and be cynical about the ways of the world uh, so i think that's but that line and then her sort of laughing freak out a couple scenes later is really peak karen in this movie for me um sam staggs he's he does one of the two commentaries on the criterion disc and he wrote the book all about all about eve in the whatever it's called post the second part of that clause after the colon (laughs) is the complete behind the scenes story of the bitchiest film ever made cool yeah that's uh oh it's a he may not have picked out his title (laughs) right we can't hold it against him there may have been an editor who did that but like we know i that that you don't always get to pick your title but whoever came up with that is is an asshole (laughs) Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly what I was afraid the movie was going to be, that it's not at all. Um, and the thing that, like, gets me there is even Eve, who is not a good person at all, um, and Baxter is at least in certain moments able to bring out a little bit of sympathy, especially when she's caught. Yeah. Um and understanding, and especially, and we'll get to, like, the very final yeah, the scene, very end, but yeah. that's that's what makes the movie. But, like, it's not 100% evil. Mm-hmm. And what I like is, like, every character here, especially the women, are giving, given many dimensions to work with, and they're not entirely good, and they're not entirely bad. Mm-hmm. Eve is definitely the worst of them, but Eve still isn't, like, trying to kill right it's not it's it's not evil for evil's sake she's self-interested and she's yeah you know but she's she's trying to accomplish something (laughs) she's just going about it a certain way and karen karen's like this um Mm light-hearted kind of silly person but she definitely has this like understanding of the world on the whole and i mean margo's not the nicest person but 
she's also very sympathetic. Right. So I don't know. Just making the best of it. To, to call it the bitchiest movie ever made. Right well, let's talk about, I think, behind the scenes. Because there were... Sure. And I think in the, the next dinner table scene, there's something that, that we'll, we'll get into. It's yeah. behind the scenes that I just love that I learned from really? the bonus features. Right. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, right after this, basically, you know, talking about that fight that Karen and her husband were having, then they get this phone call that says, okay, well, you know, Margot and Bill, want, they're at the club, you know, they're at some fancy room in the club and they want us to come have a bottle of wine with them. And so they go and it turns out that, um, well, there's a really funny line that I think it's Bill who says, for some reason you can't just pick up champagne and drink it. Somebody has to be witty about a toast, which I just thought was a charming thing to say while he's holding a glass of champagne. But the That resonated with me hard because I hate toasts more <laughs> than anything are, in the world. Toasts are I, I Yeah, toasts are awkward. Uh, yep. But I, I do like that. So then while they're having their toast, though, is basically when Margot announces that they're getting married, which is very exciting. Mm-hmm. And they seem very happy and it's nice. And so they're having this nice time. And, of course, Eve just happens to be there, hanging too, out. you know, <laughs> hanging out uh, just one table over. Um, and that's when the the real scheming starts happening. Yeah. Can I drop just before we get into mm-hmm. a very intense scene uh, <laughs> between... Karen and Eve. Uh, one of my favorite Bill moments, maybe my favorite Bill moment in the movie, is after um, Addison DeWitt's article comes out that quotes um, quotes Eve, basically saying Margot's old. Mar- I think Margot and Karen are at home, and Margot's really upset. Mm-hmm. And when Bill comes in, he, he's clearly sprinted there, and he's like, "I yeah. came as soon as I read it." That's just so, it's yeah. so nice of him. Like it made me yeah. so happy. He, yeah, no, he, yeah, I, I really liked that too. He knew he's like, oh no, and he went to be able to be there for her, which is really nice. Yeah, so. yeah the the male characters are written pretty well as well. Yeah, although they're not written like one dimension masculine male. Friggin, uh, I keep calling him Karen's husband because I just can't think. I can never remember Bill. his first name. Not Bill, no. the other one, Ugh. Lloyd. So God, there you go. There, it's interchangeable. <laughs> it's fine. He we'll call him Bill One and Bill Two. Not the sharpest um, tool in the shed. I actually wrote down, "Come on, dude!" about him <laughs> when they he falls for the scheme phone call and it's like, "Well, mm-hmm. I better go over to Eve's house." Like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, You're sleeping in separate beds as your wife. You get a call in the middle of night from a woman that says, "I need you over here, or I'm going to kill myself." Or her the friend who's like, "She's so sad," and I figured I should call you because I see you with her all the time. And like, Karen's on the phone. Ugh. So. Jumping ahead, this is after this. That happens after um, the scene at the, um, the in the bathroom, mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. With the, at the dinner with Karen and Eve, where you know Eve basically gets Karen alone and says, "I want that part in the new play." And Karen says, "You know that was written for Eve, and or sorry, that was written for Margot." And Eve goes, "Yeah, fifteen years ago, maybe." like okay yeah that is sort of the all right uh but that's when she tells karen you have to make sure i get this part or i will tell Margot that about what you did that you you know made her miss that performance and gave me this opportunity and yeah it's uh not not great for poor karen (laughs) it really comes back to bite her very quickly but that scene is very intense like that's really when you sort of see eve at her full powers mm-hmm. in terms of what she's willing to do to get ahead. And she even starts off that scene saying that um, she's already like blown her chance. Like she tried to take the kill shot at Margot with the mm-hmm. article 
Right. And it blew up in her face. Like everyone right. hates everyone her. Everyone turned on her. Yeah. Even though she was given this perfect opportunity where she was going to be the understudy and she nailed it and there happened to be critics there for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. That, like we know. Um, yeah. It was the perfect <laughs> opportunity for her and yet she still needs to keep scheming because yeah. even that was not enough. Right. And I don't know if it's just that she can't trust herself or once she's had a little bit of success with her schemes, she just wants more, more, more. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that really, it, it's like she just gets out, like, gets ahead of herself, really. She just goes for too much. You know, she's, like you said, she she pulled off a great trick and she got this great exposure and then she just takes it too far. And then, I mean, it doesn't, like you said, she gets her award. It works out okay for her, more or less, but she does alienate everybody extremely quickly yeah Yeah. i i love that scene so much because eve starts out so sad and Mm -hmm. meek and kind of wounded and as soon as she realizes she's got karen on her back heel she like subtly turns and it starts Mm -hmm. like almost being attacking right and then she delivers like the the blackmail blow right and it was in this scene i was like oh my god if I was in this Academy Award in 1950, would I be voting for <laughs> Ann Baxter over Betty Davis? I, I might. I mean, let's not that go that far. Awesome. <laughs> I, I, probably not, because it's Betty Davis and Betty yeah. Davis is awesome. But at least when I was watching that scene, I was like, holy shit. Yeah. Ann Baxter rocks. And it's thinking like that that cost Betty Davis uh, her e- Oscar exactly, for this movie. Exactly. <laughs> um, but, and so as we mentioned earlier what ends up being really funny is all of that is for not after that too Mm -hmm. you know she goes through all of this and she really pulls it off and then in the end you know uh, Margot, who's kind of you know she's for better or worse she kind of figures okay i'm i like where i'm at i'm i have some stability i'm happy with what i'm doing i you know i'm engaged now i'm gonna keep playing this role uh in the play i don't want to take the new part it's not for me um, and I did just want to mention the names of these plays, which are really funny, and it's called on the <laughs> Criterion really essay funny. too. But like, so the the one play she's already in is Aged in Wood, and the next play <laughs> is Footsteps on the Ceiling. Like they're just these, I think, intentionally funny, pretentious play names. Like, what are these plays mm-hmm. about? <laughs> they sound very Tennessee Williams. Very, yeah. Aged in Wood in particular is just <laughs> such a silly name. So. That's, yeah, so after, that's the scene where she Margot says she's not going to take the part. Karen is just, like, overwhelmed by this entire situation and can't believe this is happening and, you know, just has her laughing, which is so good. Um, and then that's when Eve decides to do one more gambit with this phone call mm-hmm. where she has her neighbor friend place the call to Lloyd yeah. to say you have to come over and help her real quick the uh, the laughing thing uh, this mm-hmm. is what I was alluding to earlier oh, about yes. some of the back the behind the scenes shenanigans apparently mm-hmm. Betty Davis and Celeste Holm uh, so Margot and uh, Karen hated mm-hmm. each other in real life like hate, oh, no, really? hated each other which you would never know about watching this. you'd never know they they play really well together especially given the car scene yeah so apparently Betty Davis was like blown away that um celeste home could just like laugh on cue mm-hmm. in that scene she just goes from nothing to like cracking up hysterically right. and and betty davis was like oh my god how could you do that i could never do that <laughs> so they they shoot it um and it, it goes like perfect mm-hmm. but mangowitz is like a, 
this is per Celeste home. Uh, Mankiewicz is like, all right, yeah, let's do it again. Just because in her mind, he knew that she was having such a tough shoot that she wa- he wanted to like just give her an extra time to shine and maybe like twist the knife a little bit to Davis. Oh, funny, just so sh- basically just show off that trick again. Yeah. <laughs> just make her feel bad. What, what did you guys think of Margot deciding to like basically stop acting? Even though I do think it's sad. Um, I also think that maybe she's realizing that this just isn't making her happy anymore, that mm-hmm. she's been through a lot. She's had a lot of success, but she's feeling worn down. She feels like the theater is sort of grinding her down. She's not happy. And sure, maybe she could be the woman who sort of overcomes all the pressures placed on her by society and does become a successful older leading woman. Mm-hmm. But I think she knows that's probably not in the cards for her. So maybe she'll just sort of bow out gracefully rather than keep making herself miserable, mm-hmm. which isn't really a happy ending, but it's not the worst thing in the world. Yeah, it, it to me, it's just she had just had that speech to Karen about how important it was for her to kind of get back into the groove of things mm-hmm. with her acting yeah. and make sure she stood the test of time almost as she is aging. That just made it a little strange, but I, I, I could completely see the argument that like it was also she decided that it just wasn't making her happy and she should bow out now it's just again it kind of happened suddenly yeah well i think for as long as this movie is there was a lot of times i was like oh that kind of came stuff happens really quickly it's true well I, i think part of it too is that um a lot of the like drama issue behind the new play is that Margot is probably too old to play this young role um and at this point she's willing to give up on it because despite her fears she's kind of accepting that like maybe i am aging and you know this like i'm beyond this role at this point and that's fine like Mm -hmm. she seems pretty happy with with foregoing this role that would have been a great role but she just doesn't fit anymore um so i think i think that it does show like some character growth there where she's willing to accept like the changes that are coming in her life but um the one part of reading that that i'm a little less uh that's a little bit rougher i guess is that it's also um kind of paired alongside with her getting engaged so right how much of that reading should we be saying like now that she's locked up a man she doesn't need to mm-hmm. do these things anymore and I, I mean the movie doesn't say that explicitly but it is things that she has talked about right. it, it does explicitly say you're not a woman yeah. without a man <laughs> yeah, yeah right yeah, yeah. Which, she, she talked about it it, it feels yeah. like a very like emotional thing for um uh margo to feel mm. like that's something important to her but it also feels yeah. very 1950s america idea of right you can only be a woman with a man too i kind of wish she almost said like i need someone in my life to be a partner to me right instead of you like yeah. almost that's... saying all women are not women right. without man. Sure. I mean, it's, yeah, it's definitely, this movie is 70 yeah, years old. Yeah, so yeah no, no, no. Kinda, like, there's right? no, no, I know, I know, I totally problems. agree. I did the same thing. I was, like they said, I found that all sort of upsetting. And then I was like, well, you're right. If, if you're making this movie today, someone would say, I need a partner in my life to support me to, you know, enjoy. But that's not how people thought about relationships in 1950. Yeah. So yeah. she, she needs the love of a good man. And she seems to have gotten it. So that's, fine that's you know uh, to be honest it's a sort of happier ending 
than I thought, mm-hmm. you yes. know, going in. She actually ends up in a, in a happier place. I was really worried yeah. <laughs> for her about uh, for a while. And so I, I'm okay with and it. She, she does seem happy. My favorite thing that I think she does in the entire movie is when Eve raises her glass to her and she grabs, mm-hmm. is it a like a, an onion or a piece of celery? <laughs> She, yeah. I thought it was a breadstick. Yeah, it's something on no, the table. It crunches. It crunches good. It's uh, Satan Tango's the breadstick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's a celery. I think yeah. that's like the ah. thing of a, yeah. So, gotcha. Yeah. It's, yeah, she cheers with it. And I love how she just like snaps it yeah. <laughs> in her mouth. Right. Great. Yeah, so right, so once she makes that decision, now it really is uh, Eve's time to shine, and we get to uh, Dylan's favorite part of the movie here, which is the big uh, finale sort of scene where, um, you know, everything kind of falls apart, you know, sort of falls apart for her. One thing I wanted to mention is, so they go, they explain about out-of-town previews, it's the out-of-town preview Mm -hmm. where the, the... Uh, shows are premiered so that New Yorkers can go out of town or he says something along those lines and there's a scene of them walking outside the theater you knew I was going to bring this up with the strangest rear projection I'm assuming it's rear projection I don't know like they're walking and they're just sort of walking (laughs) and like you can tell that it is a filmed background behind them and they are in no way actually outside on the street Um, you know it's fine, but I did. I got a, kind of a kick out of watching it because I'm like, this is very strange looking. They couldn't find a street to walk down. It's they, not like driving. That's the thing, right? Exactly. I totally. I, I love rear projection driving scenes. I like. I think those are They're very awesome. cool looking and of the time. Yeah, but the walking really threw me for a loop because it's one thing. It's like even if you're filming on a studio, like backlots have streets. You could film on a street. <laughs> so I was. I was I'd Especially be interested as to know if there was an issue there. It wasn't a hard set to make. No. And they're just walking in a straight line. I would be yeah. interested to know if there's a reason behind that, like technically or with their shooting schedule, why they had to do that. Like mm-hmm. they had to pick that scene up or something. But I thought that was funny. Um, and so then uh, Eve and... Um, Addison's name. Uh, thank you. Eve and Addison uh, have this final conversation and she's going on about how what a great success she's going to be. And, you know, she's going to get Lloyd. Lloyd, uh, the playwright, loves her and she's going to get him and, um, you know, he'll she'll be his new muse and be a huge star. And Addison is not having mm-hmm. it. Um, he does not want to be a pawn in her games. He has this really sort of brutal line where he says, I'm not like that gang of backward children. <laughs> I guess talking about Marco and, and Karen and everybody else, like you can't manipulate me like you've manipulated them. And then he just unloads on her. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, I know who you are. Here's where you came from. You're a big liar. Your mom says hi. Um, and don't try to pull one over on me because I'm 10 steps ahead of you. Which, yeah, it is a little sort of Bond villainish, maybe, in his you know what, You know what speech, it is? But I like it. It's um, from Game of Thrones. He's Littlefinger. Yeah. It is. It's a very Littlefinger vibe. He knows everything. Uh, he's got his little birds, and uh, yeah. he but, knows and I th- what's happening. I think the movie... I don't think the movie's really on his side. I think we're supposed to... Th- think that he's as detestable as Eve in his own way. Mm-hmm. He just Oh absolutely I think his so. currency is um like a different type of status than hers. Right. But he's 
as resourceful as she is. Well, I don't. I don't think we're supposed to approve of the fact that he says like you belong to me now. Mm-hmm. You know, and he hits even her. she's like, I yeah, exactly. And then even she's like, I what? <laughs> you know, yeah. And he he gets very aggressive with her. I think it thinks he's better than her though, when he's like almost has her like he's uh standing over her on the bed and he's like that you are in a strange he's he's like you are an offense to the heroes and the women who lost their men overseas and i was like what is this like she, she... mccarthy-esque patriotism being well... thrown in here 1950, and, and she was she was doing stolen valor of a war widow. I guess he was offended yeah, that but she claimed like, to be a war widow when she wasn't. He, but I, that, that's the thing is he starts valorizing this thing that's yeah. like an all American ideal of I don't know like that that's that line I was like no if he, if he, if he's gonna Littlefinger wouldn't say that in my opinion. <laughs> Like Littlefinger wouldn't go on about the valor her. of men dying at war and the women who have to live without them. Just to no. just know. to clarify about McCarthyism, Mankiewicz almost got blacklisted, or like mm-hmm. not real, like soft blacklisted from the Directors Guild, and it was uh, basically John Ford who saved his ass. Yeah, I knew that. Thank about you, John Ford too. Um, yeah, I, I I think in that scene. At least for me, I had kind of thought he Addison, uh, Addison was mostly funny until then. But I feel like that sort of was his heel turn. Where yes, yes. he right, like yes, he's getting he's really sort of exposing Eve, and so that is in a way something we're rooting for. But I think it's kind of like the Eve thing. Then I think he takes it too far with the "you belong to me now" and getting like physically aggressive with her in a way that feels so out of line with the rest of the movie to me. Like he really goes way over the top and i guess the question is do you think the movie knows that i think it does but it's it's pretty jarring i felt like i felt like it did yeah i don't feel like it didn't (laughs) is the way i'll put it you don't feel like it fair enough um Um, i so again my brother joined me for the last 10 minutes of a movie again that he hadn't seen the rest of (laughs) yeah um and actually he probably he joined me when they were in the car, so it was probably the last half hour, maybe. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but currently, he's in a stage combat class. Cool. And um, when uh, he slaps Ann Baxter, he mm-hmm. just started laughing. He was like, oh, that was terrible. <laughs> and I was like, really? And then we rewound it, and it was like, slap, pause, head jerk. Okay. Well, at least that makes me feel better that he wasn't actually hitting yeah, her. Yeah, that's so true. I will- take it I will, yeah i will take some bad fake stage but i yeah i i will say i don't normally notice that stuff which is just more of me too me, i like, it was completely no... blind to me and then when you but then when someone points it out you go oh yeah yeah like a, <laughs> there's not really connected sunny beating up carlo and uh godfather one it's <laughs> just like <laughs> right <laughs> not even close to making contact just kicking like a foot wide of his body. He's just oh, kicking the awesome. air so hard that it's pushing. <laughs> exactly, that it's like pushing him around. Oh. I gotta say though, like again, and Baxter, she, like it, the the big thing positively for mis- me this time around was how good and Baxter was. Yeah, and I love how um, they're kind of playing each other when he first enters the room, mm-hmm. and 
I forget exactly what he says, but he 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 begins to make his move. He says something that questions her. Yeah, he starts and, asking like questions about her past again. He asks again about San Francisco, and he does. Yeah. Say, what was your husband's name? And she's in the other room, and she starts taking longer and longer to answer. And uh-huh. you can tell that she she knows what's about to happen. But there's finally a point where she realizes, like, oh no, and I'm she's hot. like on the defense, and she's she goes from Eve the oh it's gonna be great I'm gonna marry Lloyd and we're gonna mm-hmm. get famous. And she just goes, what of it? Yeah. And this, there's this, like, what of it, where her voice changes. And... I, I noticed that, too. It's right it's when he confronts her with her real name, I think, when he says, you're actually Gertrude. Gertrude. And it, she's no pronounce. longer Eve. Right. And so as soon as he says that name, that's when she goes, yeah, what of it? What of it? And, like, and I was yeah. like, oh, my God. I had chills yeah. in my bone yeah. down to the marrow. <laughs> that was so good. So in the original short story, um, the Mary Orr short story, she actually has a Norwegian accent, and it Mm -hmm. turns out that that was fake. Yeah. Which I like. The accent drops away. Yeah. She has this sort of story about having an immigrant background, and then it it turns out that, well, she was was from an immigrant community, but she didn't have an Mm -hmm. accent. She stole it from somebody else who she knew who had one. Which I think is... Um, Kind of an interesting twist. I don't know if I would have liked it better. I do think that um, the ending to that would have been a real, like, gut punch, I think, compared to the ending that we get here. Yeah. In, in the ending of the short story, um, Eve, like, it's, it's set up a little bit differently where it sort of happens in two stages. Mm-hmm. Eve plays Margot first, and then it's actually Margot who tells Karen, oh, by the way, Eve's no good. And her name's like, I think it's like Margola in the short story, but uh, Margot tells the Karen character, like, oh, Eve's no good. She's a schemer. She's a liar. You can't trust her. Um, and Karen in the short story still takes pity on her and gives her one more chance to, to have an opportunity. And Eve does end up... Uh, running off with the playwright husband and Karen is left alone and made him. And it was like, and the end of the story is like, well, I'm going to Reno Nevada to get divorced. (laughs) I'm going to Reno to get divorced because, uh, (laughs) he ran off with my husband and she went one this time. Like it's, it's a lot darker in terms of (laughs) how that ends up. Uh, so I'm glad that we don't get that. And what we get instead is the movie comes back full circle. So we see the opening scene again and, um, you know, everyone's, mad at Eve even though she got this award and so she doesn't go to her own party and decides to go home and you know just be alone and that's when she meets a young woman who is apparently a fan of hers who's up and coming and just wants to help her out and Mm -hmm. be nice and this is Phoebe and she says she's a high schooler um, and she just you know what can she do for her and you know it's circle of life um she basically decides, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll pack your trunk. I'll help you go to Hollywood. And basically, you know, ends up hugging hugging or sort of holding up the award. And uh, that know, is we, the best final shot. Yeah, the ending is extremely good in terms of. And then is it, who is it that brings the award over? Because she left. She left. It's the award uh, at the dinner party. Addison. It's the guy I don't like. Is it, yeah. is it Addison? Yeah, Addison okay. brings it back, it, but she lies and, and says lies. it's like the right. cab driver. Yeah, she says, "Oh, yeah, that was just the taxi driver." Well, she's well, she says to Addison first, like, "Oh, she told me not to disturb her. She wants me to. She told me to, you know, handle this." Um, 
and then tells uh, tells Eve that, oh, yeah, it was just the taxi driver. You left your reward in the cab. Don't worry. I have it. Um, and so, you know, manipulation <laughs> starting all over. from. And he's already aware that she's up to something. Oh, absolutely. Because that was my favorite Addison moment, mm-hmm. actually. Yeah, because he's like, oh, I see what we're doing here. And she says, I call myself. subtle. I call myself Phoebe. <laughs> right. Yep. I call myself Phoebe. So, yeah, I I love the ending. I think, mm-hmm. yeah, I love the whole thing. But it really is the perfect ending to the movie. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and I like visually how it's not just her in the mirror doing the mm-hmm. like margo if we're doing like an sat right. problem it's like margo is to eve is eve is to phoebe <laughs> right it's not mm-hmm. just her but it's hundreds of her like it's right it's the multi-paned yeah. like reflection yeah they're all they're all coming <laughs> for you eventually yeah just just the look of that is so it's such a great shot yeah mm-hmm and it made me wonder, I tried to think of something and I couldn't, so you might not be able to either. But there have to be other examples of this, right? Other movies that have this sort of circle of life ending where it ends with, I mean, other than like, say, the literal circle of life ending in The Lion mm-hmm. King, where now Simba has a, yeah. you know. But there's got to be other examples. I couldn't think of anything in particular, but it seems like a very, like, great storytelling technique mm-hmm. to have, you know, now you were the person who replaced somebody and now you're going to be replaced too. So that's something to think uh, on because I, I know there's got to be something. Yeah. I don't there. know if any of them do this specifically, but it feels very like uh, black mirror ish or twilight zone ish. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where that makes sense. one thing yeah, I did. F- oh. Sorry, you could go. Oh, I was just going to say it's cycles repeating themselves, which I, I like. Um, and I, I like yeah. bringing back Addison for that. Because mm-hmm. um, for that, yeah. Because I felt like that gave his character, like just his reaction to Phoebe, um, kind of showed that his character is always on guard for this type of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Credit to Matt, who I'm going to steal this from, um, but his example was maybe like in westerns, like gunslinger movies, where like you're the you know new hot young gunslinger in town, mm-hmm. and then once you become the champ, then everybody now they want to come challenge you. Yeah. Um, you know, it's very just, yeah, started from the bottom. And then as soon as you're on top, then someone else decides they're going to take you down. Once upon a time in the West, then maybe. <laughs> yeah, something like that. I couldn't think of a, you know, specific thing, but I just thought Ish. I thought it was a really effective way to put mm-hmm. a you know bow on this entire uh, storyline. Before we wrap up, I want to say my favorite line in the movie, which happens at the yes. end. Which mm-hmm. is the last line Margot has when she goes up to congratulate, quote unquote, Eve for her mm-hmm. award. She says, you can always put that award where your heart is. That's really good. I love that, too. I thought that was a really fantastic yes. uh, sort of kiss off line. Yes. But that was excellent. Um, and I do my sort of one thing I had to note. I told you guys I was going to check in with my good friend Pauline Kale, my favorite contrarian, yes. to see what her thoughts were. And I could only find this one line quote on Metacritic. I could not find the essay or review where she would have actually said this. But the quote attributed to her on Metacritic, at least, is that she calls All About Eve Ersatz art of a very high grade and one of the most enjoyable movies ever made. The thing is, Ersatz typically means like phony 
or imitation. So it's like, you know, even when she's praising something, it's still this weirdly backhanded compliment. (laughs) And I don't know if she's just referring to its sort of campiness or its performative nature, maybe. But she basically seems to call it like phony art, but then says of the of a very high grade Mm -hmm. (laughs) and calls it entertaining. So, you know, that's that's pretty high marks. Yeah, for for Kale, that's uh... yeah, exactly. That's a that's a real rave. (laughs) Kind of going off that, though, of. Because my brother was watching the last bit with me. Um, he said it had been probably four or five years since he had seen like an old Hollywood kind of movie. And he yeah. was just like, I forgot how much they overscript and overact everything in these it's old movies. Totally different style. Yeah. yeah. But I, I, yeah. it's fun. Yeah. You know. So did you guys have favorite, any other Ebert uh, oh, quotes so you many. wanted to reference? I actually, I mean, like I said, I... I highlighted or circled something basically in every paragraph, but I actually really liked the very first, the very opening of his essay, the first two sentences where he says, growing older was a smart career move for Betty Davis, whose personality was adult, hard edged and knowing never entirely comfortable as an ingenue. She was glorious as a professional woman, a survivor or a bitchy predator. Uh, Bitchiness aside, I thought that was a really nice observation that, you know, she, maybe she wasn't comfortable as like a sweet young thing, but when she grew into a mature professional woman, that it was you know really her time to shine. I think it's again. Ebert doesn't know how to describe women. He does that not. well, but does. I think it is a good observation as mm-hmm. well. Um, Agreed. I like where he said she had never played a more autobiographical role. Yes, mm-hmm. I like that too. Which is interesting, though, because like he said about Betty Davis, like this was a good role for her. Like, I almost feel like Betty Davis had a better back half of her career than a front half of her career. Mm-hmm. She did a lot of stuff after All About Eve. Oh, it, like, oh yeah, I associate her almost entirely. Yeah, I was going to say, I know this is like her comeback, but I my familiarity with her is almost entirely from post yeah. <laughs> this era of her career. Yeah. yeah, I think she even said Mankiewicz like, re- revived her mm-hmm. career. Um, yeah, and they seem to get along really well yeah. too. Her and Mankiewicz. Mm-hmm. There's, I, there was something I think in the Criterion essay about how he was warned not to work with her she, or something along would, those lines. She would like grind him into a fine she dust. Would grind him into a yeah. She would, yeah, exactly. And then they seem to have a really good working relationship. Yeah. So um, the qu- the quote that I have pulled is the movie creates Margot Channing as a particular person and Eve Harrington as a type. And I, I feel like in a way he's giving like another backhanded insult to um, mm-hmm. Anne Baxter there, but it, it's also true in its own way where Margot is like this fully fleshed out person where we understand like her, the things that are motivating her, like this fear of aging and, and falling out of the limelight. Whereas the Eve character, we really only know her as like this archetype of this Machiavellian type of person who's mm-hmm. willing to do whatever to move up. Um, so I don't see that necessarily as a bad thing. I think it works really well in this. Like the, those two, mm-hmm. like a, a fully fleshed out character going up against just this force of uh, like megalomania, I guess, uh, I, I mm-hmm. think works really sure. well. But I think it's a fleshed out form of megalomania. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Which, totally. I don't know. I feel like Ebert was way too hard on her. But yeah. it's his opinion. <laughs> again, I don't ever want to fully say ebert was ever wrong just that <laughs> just i disagree respect, but also he oh, went in very hard on glorious swanson 
which yeah, I found bold. What did, what did I, I highlighted it and then I put it away, but he he describes her performance as like a waxwork character. A gothic waxwork, yeah. Yeah. Um, which I have to say actually makes me eager to go back and rewatch Sunset Boulevard. It's been a couple of years. He has a line in there about how, like, well, these days Sunset Boulevard is, you know, the better regarded movie. Because of the it? age of irony. I was going to say. I, I don't mean, know. They're yes. both highly they're, regarded. I, I don't say, think you could. Yeah, they're both about as highly regarded as you can get. Yeah. Um, I don't know um, if I think Sunset Boulevard's more. I feel like it probably is. If And I think he alludes to this, too. But maybe if for no other reason that I think Wilder is much more mm-hmm. highly revered yes. now. Than, that's what that's than what he, that's what he says, you know. Yeah, that maybe it's the directors a little bit. Yeah. Although in the Criterion booklet, they do note that there was a film critic in um, 1950 who wrote that Mankiewicz was among the best American directors. Oh. And that right. was... Uh, Jean, Jean, Jean-Luc Godard. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. I made a note of it. Friend of the pod, Jean-Luc Godard. <laughs> yes, Good friend of exactly. uh, Agnes Varda. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> um, well, talking about Gloria Swanson and Sunset Boulevard, though, I wanted to bring up the movie Opening Night yeah. um, from John Cassavetes. Because uh, to me, it almost had more in common with opening night than it did sunset boulevard and i think all three make an interesting pairing um so i know Jana hasn't seen, seen it um opening night but i want to ask nick at least what 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 how do you compare opening night and all about eve um, i think they're actually pretty different i mean both both have i don't know opening night seems to be playing a lot more with form and like the blurring the lines between um like fiction reality and like the onstage offstage issues of the characters. Whereas this seems to just be focused on like the backstage dynamics and how those um, yes. spill into people's personal lives as Which opposed to Ebert does mention that in the book, there's no play in this movie at all. Yeah. Nothing on stage. And a lot of opening night is on stage. Yeah, It's almost like how the things that happen on, this is, all about Eve is how the things that happen on stage um, affect people's personal lives, whereas opening night is a little bit more how things that happen off stage impact their performances. I guess mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm just mm-hmm. like just off the yeah. top of the head. I I, I don't know how uh, how well that I guess. Plays but out. she's also like literally haunted off stage of the woman that's killed at the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. Like I think. Uh, to me, it w- mainly what I was getting at is it's a, it's a main character who's dealing with aging and is an actor in a movie. It's set off by a person she meets as a fan outside the theater. And it felt like a very similar friend group of they have some internal problems, but they're all generally supportive of each other. Mm-hmm. Except for like maybe the uh, person that's funding the play and stuff. Though she tries, at least. But, because I had seen Opening Night so recently, I it was fresh in my mind. I liked Opening Night a lot more than this. Especially the end point of Gina Rowland's character, which I can't remember the name of, versus Margot's character. In how they dealt with their age and stuff. Yeah, it's been a few years since I've seen it, so like some of the specifics I would have trouble like comparing and contrasting the uh-huh. two. I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, 
I don't think I want to go into spoilers at least, but <laughs> well, I will check it out at some point because I am curious. Yeah. I was just looking at like the brief summary. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. and it looks kind of strange. It's very strange. Um, but I think I can say, but I think also right, it's, it's from like the late so it's like seventy seven. It looks like it's and it's uh-huh. also it's a John Cassavetes movie. Like it's gonna be yeah. a little bit different than mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know a nineteen fifty big Hollywood yeah. studio picture. Sure. I probably enjoyed watching All About Eve more, but sure. I at least liked the the arc of the main gotcha. character yeah. at least more in that Makes movie. Makes some different choices. Yeah, especially the ending. The ending of opening gotcha. night is really good, too. Um, bef- gotcha. Before we wind down, um, I have one thing pulled up that I want to talk about. So Eve wins what's called the Sarah Siddons Society Award. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was an actress. Sarah Siddons was an actress, but this award didn't exist until a couple of years after the movie. Oh, interesting. It was, <laughs> did they so create weird. it because of the movie? I they were like, so. we might as well. Yeah, like it was invented in the movie and then they're like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll do this. So uh, the Sarah Siddons Society Award is given every year uh, since 1952 for outstanding performance in a Chicago theater. Oh. And I don't know if it's on purpose, but it's almost exclusively women who've won. Like it's it's by far like... 80, maybe 90% women. Um, but some winners include Myrna Loy, Lauren Bacall won twice, Angela Lansbury won twice, Cloris Leachman, Rita Moreno, Lily Tomlin, Liza Minnelli, Ellen Burstyn, Julie Andrews, Lynn Redgrave won twice, Faye Dunaway, uh, Elaine Stritch, Kathleen Turner, B.B. Newworth, um, the late Brian Dennehy is one of the men who's won, John Mahoney's won, Frazier's oh, dad. Um, yeah. Claudette Colbert won. She was supposed to be Margot. I was gonna I yeah, meant I to bring that, that up and I forgot. There's a there's there's alternate casting stories about this movie that are wild. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she was supposed to be Margot and had to drop out because I think a back injury or something like that. Yes. Yeah. That's what it said. And then in nineteen sixty eight Celeste Holm won. Aw and in nineteen seventy three Betty Davis won. Oh that's oh, cool. Wow. I love that a lot. And Baxter never won though. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> which I think is super appropriate. She already, so she, yeah, she already did. She, She's fine. she won the very first one. <laughs> she, exactly. That's funny. How cool. Yeah, it's really interesting. I'm looking at it now that it, you know, it'd be one thing if it was like exclusively women. Mm-hmm. It looks like maybe it was for a while and then they decided to make it gender neutral at some point, maybe, because it looks like maybe starting it's like in the, the um... 90s. They're it's like the uh, the Woman of the Year Award in Pawnee, Indiana, <laughs> where every now and then <laughs> they'll give it to either Ron Swanson or Andy. And in 1999, Brian Andy, Dennehy ben. was just the, <laughs> the yeah. female actor of the year, apparently. So, oh, mm. B.B. Newworth won it, too. So, Frazier's wife and dad. Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> oh, I, did, oh, I didn't even make that connection. Wait, isn't there an oh, episode of Frazier where is Kathleen Turner or am I thinking of a different... You're thinking of Friends, probably. Kathleen Turner is. Uh, oh, isn't she like Chandler's? Is she's Chandler's dad? Yeah. <laughs> there's there's a <laughs> hashtag problematic content when it yeah. comes to. No, I was thinking she she like played somebody who met Fraser, but I may be um, confusing like erotic thriller era stars. Sure, sure, true. I had an interesting. I, mu- note I must about- be because it's it's right. not on her. Uh, okay. Well, there you go. I, I had an interesting note about the cast in this movie is, do you know who played Phoebe? No. Barbara Bates? Is that her name? Yeah. So yeah. 
I was curious to see if she did anything after this, mm-hmm. and she did. She acted for quite a while, um, but she like I th- I believe let me go to her Wikipedia. Oh, I, 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 I did see I, this. Yeah, but it, it said she's mainly known for her portrayal in All About Eve. Mm-hmm. Um, but she died at the age of forty three. Oh, after her career started to go down. Um, her first husband had died and she felt very alone and her depression came. And then she killed herself by suicide of carbon monoxide poisoning at her parents' house, I believe. Cool. Which I think in itself is another sad story about, like, the aging process and the acting process. And it it really kind of hit me emotionally about... Just this, the end character in this movie who gets, like, this final sparkling yeah, moment. Yeah, even she. As, like, the cycle is continuing. Has a mm-hmm. short, sad life. I thought yeah. you just wanted to have us end two podcast episodes in a row talking about one of the actors uh, dying by suicide and bumming us all out. Yeah. Sorry. I do have uh, another just, like, kind of, if we're going to end on a down note, we might as well go all the way. Um, cool. Joseph Mankiewicz's wife, uh, apparently he was very... Um, unfaithful among other things and she also uh died by suicide um and him doing that kind of reminded me of the guy in eight and a half in his relationship with his wife although she seemed to uh, cope i think better. she took it in stride a little bit more yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway since we're doing a sad, bummer corner yeah bummer corner yeah. the show we <laughs> might as well uh mention all the bummers yeah <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I had anything else terribly. Um, oh, uh, um, fun or interesting. Betty Davis and uh, what's his name? Their their marriage ended with a divorce. So, what else? What else can we say? That's I was say what else is? Yeah, was, you know, they had a few good years there. Was their age difference the same as the one described in the movie? Out of curiosity, do you know? I don't know. Um, that is a great see. question. George George Sanders was married to two of the Gabor sisters. Wow. What the heck? Good job, buddy. Um did when when they brought up the age discrepancy, did either of you do the Tom Haverford method of calculating whether that would break the rule of relationships? <laughs> Is it half your age divided or half half your age plus, plus seven? seven? Yeah. For some reason, I always think of that when oh, yeah. ages come up in relationships. He's got he's got and many years. Yeah, they're that they're they were seven years apart, by the way. So just about exactly the same. She was born in 1908, and he was born in 1915. So huh. nice. She, he was just about seven years. Well, her. either way, they they fit in the Tom Haverford age. Calculated <laughs> Go either range. way. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, if we don't have any else, anything else to bum us out uh, before we can wrap up, we can do our thumbs up, thumbs down. We move thumbs into up. Marilyn Monroe talk. Oh God. Oh, you know what? Okay, that's <laughs> cutting us off. We'll talk about her later. Yeah. Why did she have a tragic ending too? <laughs> poor, poor. Yeah. Yo, I have some bad news for you, Nick. <laughs> don't Google Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> um, all right. Thumbs. It's a thumbs up from me. It's a thumbs up for me. Yep. Me too. All right, and I, you know, four stars. This was an easy one for me. I loved it, Masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Can't wait to watch it. I've watched it twice this week. I can't wait to watch it again. That's so awesome. Nick? Uh, I wasn't sure. Well, I think I was probably going to give it four stars either way. I was debating on whether changing my letterbox rating from four and a half to five, and uh, I think I'm going to. Do it. I'm, Do it. I'm going, wow. I'm, Good I'm job. going all five. Excellent. It's just so, nice. it's right. so funny. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm it really other is. things. 
every line of dialogue is just so damn funny in this movie. Yeah, it, it really is. It, it feels, it does not feel 70 years old. I mean, it, it feels so alive yeah. in a way that I really Absolutely. like. It felt almost Hitchcocky because it's like kind of terrifying how Eve has played them all. Sure. But also it's a very witty, funny script, which Hitchcock usually does too. Right. I feel like I could have seen Hitchcock doing his own version of this and <laughs> it going where she's like literally killing people <laughs> instead of just ruining their lives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, Dylan, how many stars from you? I'm going to go three and a half. I think I made some of my minor qualms kind of clear about some of the. I was I was changing my my letterbox thing to five when you said three and a half. I was thinking out of five, and if you saw my reaction, <laughs> that's that's why. <laughs> Oh yeah, Nick looked like he was about to punch me through Zoom, and I was like, like three and a half. That's not that that's bad not bad. I, th- I thought you meant out of five, and I was, I was, I thought. I- oh God, no. Yeah, that. Yeah, he's like, I don't know. I'm, I, like, if on Letterbox, I'd probably be somewhere between like four and four and a half. I'm not sure yet. I was like, but what definitely did, three and what a half out of four. Sanders do to you? <laughs> not gonna let him go. No. Yeah, oh. I don't like that character that much, and I thought some of the plot moments happened a little bit out of the blue, but, I mean, it was an extremely enjoyable experience, and it did not feel two and a half hours, no, or two hours, two minutes, which when I saw the, the runtime, I was like, oh, no, I don't remember it being this long, yeah. and I don't remember it being that long after watching it a couple days ago, because... That movie is a brisk, awesome fun. Yeah, it moves so fast. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I think that's probably it. Thank you to all of our listeners for joining us this week. Hope everyone joins us next week when we're going to be discussing The Apartment. Another movie, yet again, that I haven't seen that I'm very excited to check out, probably right now so until (laughs) next episode you can follow us on both twitter and letterboxd at great movies pod we want to thank as always our friend scott brady for our artwork you can follow him on twitter at s brady artist and that's it for this week roger out roger out out. and when i go to the movies i am that person on the screen i am having vicariously an experience that happened to someone else and that makes me a better person. That to see good films and to see important films is one of the most profoundly civilized experiences that we can have as people.